0: everybody, crappy Mondays and welcome to the News Agenda with me Fleet Street Fox and today I'm joined by the Mirror's Deputy Online Political Editor Lizzie and Morning Lizzie. Morning. <laughs> now this is the People's Pay Per View so get into the comments, ask us your questions. I don't know how your Monday's going, mine began with an exploding box of Ready Breck which went all over me, I'm still picking it out of my hair. Uh, just typical Mondays, really. So those of you listening later on podcasts, just have to pray that it's soon Tuesday, won't you? So what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the demand that we can't let them off the hook from the former sub-postmaster and all-round hero Alan Bates and others about those ultimately responsible for the post office scandal. Now Lizzie there's an insistence sort of nationwide really not just with Alan Bates and his friends that whoever knew those postmasters were innocent or probably innocent and hounded them through the courts for money that was lost due to a faulty computer system should have to have their own day in court really. Is there any chance do you think of that actually happening?
1: I think that's possible, certainly. I mean, where we are at the moment is that the government has put forward this new legislation, which is going to sort of mass exonerate all of the postmasters who were wrongfully convicted but using evidence from the Horizon IT system, basically, which has been shown to have been faulty. Um, And there's a kind of an ongoing battle to make sure everyone's properly compensated. Um, but now attention is sort of shifting to who knew what when really mm-hmm. and how could the scandal have gone on for so long were post office investigators still pursuing people when they knew that this actually they weren't at fault um and so there's a public inquiry going on which has actually been running since 2021 when it was made a statutory inquiry um and, but obviously, it hasn't had the kind of white glare of attention that this issue has had in the last week or so. Um, so we need to wait until the inquiry is supposed to be kind of getting to the bottom of what really went on. And there's been some quite interesting hearings recently. I watched. Um, I watched it on Thursday, where they had a post office investigator. Um, Stephen Bradshaw who was on all day uh, talking about his kind of prosecutions that he did for the post office and in it he said that you know he denied that he'd acted like the mafia and that the rest of his kind of colleagues weren't behaving that way but some of the evidence is absolutely extraordinary like the way that postmasters were treated Um, so you know I think we will see things out of the inquiry about who in the post office was doing what but obviously you know we need to know who, at the, whether the people at the top knew what was happening, and whether there's a way for them to face justice. Really,
0: exactly, and and it's often the case that the people at the top of things are not the ones who end up ultimately in court. Often, and what do you think, everybody? Obviously, someone should face justice over this, but what does justice look like? Is it a court case? Is it, you know, a finding at public inquiry? Is it something else? Um, is it perhaps having to, you know? Um, lose some of their own cash, which they obviously find post office postmasters for, for things they haven't done wrong, perhaps some of them should lose some of their bonuses. What do you think? Now, there's this long list, really, of, of stuff that people think should happen about the post office scandal. But while some people may have done something wrong all the way up the organisation, has it is that actually a crime? You know, it's not against the law, as things stand, to prosecute someone Uh, according to the best evidence you have and for it later to turn out to have been not not good enough it's not even against the law to lie to the public or for or to ministers or for politicians to lie to the commons um it's not it's not against the law to lie to a politician yourself if you are working for an organization and a minister asks you a question you're allowed to lie to them you know it's only a crime if you've lied to a court really perjury and the ones who might have misled the courts are not the ones who sat on the board of the post office are they because the likes of Paula Venels whatever she knew she wasn't the one in court handling the prosecutions.
1: No that's right I mean the Met Police has said that it's looking into it's looking to possible instances of perjury, so sort of lying mm-hmm. lying to courts and perverting the course of justice already. Um, and it is also looking at possible cases of fraud. Um, so this is sort of with the post office and also I believe the fraud, um, I believe some of the perjury offences are to do with Fujitsu, a Japanese company who, um, who developed the Horizon software. So if people, post office investigators were, bringing public private prosecutions which they knew to be false then that is that is a crime um and you know they, they could be they, those they could be found to have committed those offenses but also I think that there are ways that the the police could look into the fact that if let's say Paula Venels or somebody more senior in the post office did know that this wasn't true and authorized sort of issued a directive saying we need to keep pressing on with this anyway, or concealed information, there are ways that they could be held to account, but I think it is difficult to kind of get to the bottom of who knew what when, um, because lots of people aren't in post anymore, you know, there's a long time has passed since some of these early cases, and there's some interesting, um, there was an interesting story yesterday as well, suggesting that the post office is refusing to give uh, postmasters their private their personal records which is making it makes it difficult for them to claim compensation so there's clearly you know there's a lot of people with a lot of skin in the game here Um,
0: there's also seems to have been perhaps that inquiry there's been reports that they haven't post office have not been giving all the documents that they have been ordered to give some of them they've even given documents they've already given 50 times previously Uh, the whatsapps have not appeared getting to be a bit of a pattern that one isn't it um just a quick fyi to those people uh, who tend to turn off just dis- turn on disappearing messages on their whatsapps if you do that to a journalist we just screenshot them doesn't make any difference um uh, <clears throat> so we've got this the problem with you can find some laws then to prosecute them so for example fraud is usually obtaining a pecuniary advantage by deception isn't it is the language they use and so they'd say well perhaps the post office which made money out of this and um or individuals who got bonuses because the, you know, the post office accounts were at a certain level, if they've obtained that pecuniary advantage by some kind of deceit, then you can prosecute them for fraud. But there's a lot of ifs there. And you've got to go back through 20 years' worth, in some cases, of files and evidence and emails and who knew what. And that's going to take a very, 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 very long time. So perhaps you get maybe a few low-ranking officials that can copper charge many f- people would find that the more immediate and pressing matter is this issue of compensation which has been promised but not paid out in full to the vast majority of those affected by it and in that they're not alone so we've got also the infected blood inquiry when people who are given every time i put my thumb up the damn stupid update on my computer wants to put a little thumbprint on the screen it's really annoying sorry those of you listening on podcast you don't see what i was just talking about. Um, So you have infected blood, people who were given contaminated blood products in the 70s and 80s. Their public inquiry has ruled they should have £100,000 compensation minimum each, and that has not been paid. Um, The Windrush letter today, there is a group of celebrities who have signed a letter urging the government to speed up the compensation for the Windrush victims, people who were citizens of this country and who would decide... Who were either deported or denied medical care and things like that all wanting compensation or promised but not paid plus we've got nuclear veterans lawsuit which we'll talk about later on but building in the background and that may well lead to compensation too do you think lizzie that Rishi's just punting all these big payments into the long grass so that the immense bill for you know for for years, of which for the majority of the time was conservative-led injustice lands on Labour's doorstep rather than his own. I think
1: I think, I think that you could make an argument for that in certain cases, such as um, there was a. I think it was before Christmas, the infected blood compensation, um, the government had been trying to sort of kick that down the road. And there was a an amendment made in the Commons, I think led by Diana Johnson, the Labour MP, which forced the government to make the payments more swiftly. Um, and so, you know, I think the Treasury are really worried about having to pay out so much money. Um, but the government promised it was going to do this. It set up these statutory inquiries and these people you know, these victims of all these different scandals are owed, you know, are owed compensation by the state. So, you know, they they are obligated to carry that out. I think, you know, with the um, post office scandal, the government has said that they're going to try and make sure everyone's exonerated by the end of this year. Obviously, we know that we have an election this year at some point. Um, so where the compensation falls in that, is another matter. You know, they've said that they'll do it swiftly, but there's not been a commitment of a certain date of when that could happen. The government argues that's because not everybody wants to claim the sort of, you know, everybody, apart from the group that won won a group action, against the 555 who won a group action, Um, they're offered a sort of separate payment because they've already won litigation in this case, but everybody else is sort of being offered a blanket payment of 600,000 pounds, but they can ask for more if they feel that their circumstances demand it. So the government's argument will be that some people may want more, may not be prepared to accept what they're being offered. And so that then needs to go through a process. So, you know, there's no reason why A large number of people can't get their payment payments and the small number who don't want that and want to argue further um, can do so. But I think, you know, if this is probably the last thing Rishi Sunak needs heading into an election when the public finance is already, you know, only in a slightly sketchy place and there's not a lot of money to play with. But, you know, these people are owed money.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's it. And it's, of course there's some who've had convictions, some who weren't convicted, some who lost their homes, some who didn't, and all the rest of it. But it's hard to see quite unless they do it very, very quickly, how they can possibly get the bill um exonerating those who were convicted through in time before they have to dissolve parliament for a general election at some point. It's got to go through a certain process and they've got to get that bill through. If it's only a one-line bill, it's gonna take some arguing, I would have thought. Uh, you
1: but can- when- You could say that the government can always find time to get legislation through if it really wants to. I mean, you know, you can see we'll talk about it later. They're trying to rush this Rwanda legislation through because it's a priority. So if the government wanted to get the exoneration bill through, it can do it. It just depends whether they want to throw everything at it or not.
0: Exactly. It depends um whether people when it comes around to being on the doorsteps are still talking about the post office, I suspect. Um anyway, on to the main story of the day. And this is only on page eleven of today's mirror, all right, but it's going to be the main story driving the news agenda of the week. And we always try and discuss and explain why these things are going to be on the news agenda. So it's we call the show what we do and it's about immigration this week so yesterday morning five asylum seekers drowned off the coast of France in freezing cold waters as the small boat they were in capsized those on board included mothers and children Uh, we don't know who's among the dead yet Um, it just goes to show doesn't it Lizzie really that even in the depths of winter if there's one calm day at sea those people smugglers will shove the old lucrative tokens through the through the mincing machine which is the english channel um and they don't really care who suffers as a result of it what's actually being done to stop the people traffickers aside from any rwanda legislation what's being done with france to stop them getting on that boat in the first place
1: i mean the government's thrown everything at rwanda because they say that they think it's going to work as a deterrent to um to People basically trying to make that crossing over the channel. Um, we've not got a lot of evidence to suggest that the prospect of it is acting as a deterrent in any way. You know, there have been MPs who claim that you know they've seen evidence that people smugglers are, are sort of being put off by that. I've not seen any evidence to suggest that's the case, um, and or that even if the Rwanda scheme was operational, that would be the case. The UK has signed a pact with France and is pouring millions of pounds into trying to sort of strengthen patrols along the coast of uh, the French coast to try try and stop people smugglers basically getting people into those boats on on the coast and setting off for, for the UK. Um but again, you know, that, that is a challenge that the French are battling with as much as we are. Relations with France are better now than they were under both Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, they were pretty bad. Um, But, you know, there's still, we're still seeing huge numbers of people making that crossing. Um, Last year, the number of small boat arrivals did decrease, I think, by around a third. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's still a huge number of people. And like you say, there, there had been a sort of lull over the Christmas period because the weather was really poor. But as soon as they were able to do so, people were trying to get over, get out make that crossing and five people sadly lost their lives
0: yeah exactly something's something more has to be done on that but if they're focusing on Rwanda they're not going to spend the money so much on France, are they? Mike says, will the Rwanda bill end up being strengthened? And if it is, will the One Nation Conservatives decide they'll vote against? I don't imagine that they will. This is one of the issues that we've got now, this sort of Tory infighting, which is going to be happening this week, um, as the Rwanda bill comes back to the Commons. Now, just before Christmas, if you remember, everybody, there was a vote on this. Half the Tory party, uh, the One Nation caucus, as it's known, said it was a bit too tough. Didn't like it, but they were just about to swallow it as so long as it didn't change. And a good third or so, or a quarter of the Tory party said it wasn't tough enough and wanted it to change. A lot of them abstained, but not quite as many that didn't like it. So the numbers weren't there, although the noise was. So now it's been to the Lords; it's come back again, isn't it, Lizzie? And presumably, we're going to see both sides tabling amendments now to that bill, trying to both toughen it up and water it down. What, what on earth is going to be happening this week? Are we on? Was it the third reading? The second reading?
1: Yeah, so it it had its second reading before Christmas, and we're now in what's called committee stage, which is where MPs go through the bill kind of line by line and try and improve it, add things to it, row about what they want to do, and then they'll move to third reading, which is where it gets its Commons approval, and then it moves over to the Lords. So as we were saying earlier, government can get anything done that it really wants to. So it's Tuesday and Wednesday, the bill is going to have have all of the rest of its common stages with what we're expecting a third reading vote on Wednesday night so it's going to be a kind of it.
0: A the committee stage which I remember from my journalism training is the really nitty-gritty detailed long careful examining the problems writing the legislation looking at the loopholes getting it sorted tightened up stage Is going to last a day
1: two days yeah
0: They're going to do it in two days. Yep. What's the normal length of time that takes, Lizzie?
1: It totally depends. It can take quite a long time. Often committee stage is done privately. It's especially with bills that are kind of not that controversial. What they'll do is they'll go off to a room in the Commons. A few MPs were on the committee or the bill will go through it. No one really pays a lot of attention to it till it comes back to the Commons with the amendments to it for third reading and then it will pass. So sometimes it can take weeks, sometimes longer, depending on, you know, how complicated the bill is and also how pressing it is to get it through Parliament. Mm. Um, but it's not unheard of for them to do bills like this. This, in, So they're doing it in what's called Committee of the Whole House, which means that the committee will take, stage will take place in the House of Commons Chamber. Oh, so, God that's what happens with issues. so things like Theresa May's brexit legislation was done this way um you know where there's a real uh, there's a lot of interest from all sides so this is definitely being rushed through um but it's not totally unprecedented for it to be this quick but i mean the bill is you know what but where we are with it basically is rishi is between a rock and a hard place in that he's got the right wingers who say this isn't tough enough, he's got the moderates, the one nation conservatives who say if you change it even a little bit, Mm -hmm. we're going to go mad. So he's got to try and find a way through it. So we're going to have, I suspect a couple of days of like very sort of frenetic parliamentary wrangling, lots of secret meetings, lots of people talking up their chances, lots of, you know, all of that sort of thing. And and then will there'll be a series of votes um so... a fun
0: fight, isn't it because especially if it happens in the main chamber like that it's not in a private committee room it's not perhaps with uh you know half a dozen people who are really committed to one part of the bill or another it's with 600 people who are very committed to one end of that bill or the other end having a massive row fundamentally and it's going to play out across all the news isn't it across the tv and the newspapers and everything else and like you say lots of people off in corners doing deals and and sort of wrangling people one way or another. There are a number of MPs I'm not even going to bother trying to ring this week because they're going to be busy conspiring one way or another. Um, But it comes down to, doesn't it, really the noise and whether you get the numbers. So before Christmas, we had all this kerfuffle about the second reading, huge amount of noise saying we're not going to vote for it. And then in the final analysis, actually, most of the sort of the splitters just abstained or they went for it and said, we'll get them later when it comes back to the commons. They weren't as committed as the noise was making them out to be. Do you think that's going to change this time round or is it are they going to harden or soften their support? Or is it just it's going to be the same, just a lot of old this and then they're going to do it anyway?
1: I think it's probably too early to say um, because. It will depend slightly on what conversations are had behind closed doors, whether Downing Street decides to offer some concessions to either side, whether some deals are struck. Um, I would say as a veteran of of Parliament's Brexit wars, and I'm sure many people are watching this will remember, um, (laughs) that there's often a situation where a lot of MPs will talk a big game and say that they're going to vote something down. And then when it comes to the crunch, they don't quite do it. So I wouldn't be surprised if we end up in a slightly similar situation to before Christmas, um, where a lot of people abstained. I think there may well be more rebellions um, than there was before, but only something like 28 or 29 Conservative MPs need to vote against the bill for the government to lose. But the government is not going to want to lose this bill. It is sort of the centerpiece of Rishi Sunak's gov- like parliamentary agenda, and if they don't, if they don't get it through, you know that is really serious business for him. So I think that the government will throw everything at it. The rebels want to be able to spe- see like seem like they've won. So you know I think hopefully I suspect they'll probably try and find a way through it, but. Another really interesting thing that you've seen today, as well, slightly separately, is um, there's a big poll in the Telegraph suggesting that the Conservatives might face a 1997-style wipeout, where Labour would win a 120 seat majority, and you know, 11 cabinet ministers would lose their seats, and the Red Wall that Boris Johnson won in 2019 would all fall. Um, what? A shame. Time- Sorry. What a shame. The timing's very interesting that this has oh come out today of all days. 1997. Go on, sorry, I was just going to say the timing of this is very interesting that it's come out today of all days. You know, this poll was done by Ugov, It's legitimate. You know, it's all it's very interesting. But uh, it was funded by a group of conservative donors. So it's quite an interesting time for, you know, something like that to come out to sort of give a really strong message to Downing Street that things aren't working and they need to get a grip. Just as they're about to set out their Rwanda stuff, in and the
0: perhaps country. also to the to the MPs that you know you're all at risk if you if you keep mucking yeah. around like this. Mm-hmm. What do you think, everybody? Do you think the Rwanda bill really matters? Do you care about it one way or the other? Because it seems to me that <clears throat> regardless of who you're talking to, what their political views might be, sort of the support for Rwanda bill is fairly soft, and it's it's. As it's a minority, it's a significant minority, but it isn't a minority, maybe 30 40%, and then another 50% are probably anti, yeah. And the rest are kind of don't know. This seems to be a bit like the country doesn't really know. I don't really like it, but about the whole thing. Um, and then you've got the fact that Rwanda doesn't want this bill to change. So if if it does get toughened up, Rwanda is going to say, well, we don't want your asylum seekers under these conditions. So then that gets incredibly difficult as well. John says, if they can just pass legislation to say Rwanda's a safe country, can't they just wave a magic wand? I mean, pass legislation and say no one is crossing the channel. Um, John, I dare say that may be one of the next things that we look at, is that how you start assessing uh, Channel migrant crossings, and are they still in the boat when they actually arrive on English shores, and if they happen to have got out of the boat by that point, maybe have one foot on land, they might say, well, they're not in a boat, they've, they've walked here, or something, and there'll be some other way around it, <clears throat> they may well start reassessing these things but where do you think we are in the numbers because we've got a hundred or so in the one nation caucus the kind of the soft the tory wets as maggie thatcher would have called them who don't want it toughened up maybe 50 in like the common sense group european research group the hard right end of the tory party that are a bit more insistent upon things But then you've got the ones in the middle, another 100 or so, or 150, whatever it is. You've got about 100 in the government who are going to vote the way the government says, but you may have some resignations perhaps as well, uh, which can make things stand or fall. Do you think, I mean, as you said, it's it's kind of quite dependent for Rishi, this actually getting it through. We've got a huge process to go through, amendments, arguments, rebellions, maybe resignations for someone or somewhere another. Do you think it's serious enough that it could potentially take Rishi out or is he going to survive it, but maybe be a bit more battered?
1: I think if Rishi can't get this through parliament, that would be really serious. If the government can't pass, <coughs> governments that can't pass their legislation, their most important legislation have no power. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I always find interesting in Westminster is it's all about kind of the perception of power. And once it starts to ebb away from somebody, or the narrative shifts and something, you know, someone else suddenly becomes important. It's very hard to change that narrative. And the, you know, Rishi Sunak is already struggling with the fact that Labour are so have been consistently ahead in the polls for so long. There's been this long-running thing that perhaps Labour are going to win. It's very hard for the government to shift that kind of perception now. And if he can't get his legislation through parliament, you know that would be in the past that would be the kind of thing that might have meant led a government to collapse Mm. um i don't i think he probably will get it through but everything anything is possible um and even if he gets it through the commons it's also going to be absolutely torn apart in the house of lords i'm sure where the government doesn't have a majority and there's a lot of very experienced lawyers who are peers in all parties you know who will look at this and say, hold on a second, like, is this actually in line with international law? Can we really do this? You know, and that is the point of the House of Lords, is it's supposed to add that expertise and scrutiny. Um, But it could mean that there's a lot of ping pong back and forth going forward. So, you know, it is going to be a challenge either way.
0: And then maybe the possibility of a judicial review. Of a, at the end of the day to see whether it really complies with everything that it ought to be complying with. And R- Rwanda still has yet to take, of course, precisely. No asylum seekers have gone there yet. So <clears throat> a lot of money has been spent it, a lot of time, a lot of political capital. We don't seem to have got very far with it, really, mm-hmm. particularly. And just one other thing if we move on to good news, Lizzie. You said that, you know, that Sunak would do everything and throw the kitchen sink at it get this passed. But normally when a government wants to get something through, it has to sort of buy off its rebels with something, offers of government jobs, um concessions on other legislation, stuff like that. And he's in a situation, he's in the last year before an election, um, he's probably going to lose it. But the only question really is how badly he's going to lose it. Has he got anything to offer them, to buy them off at this stage?
1: He's not got a lot to offer them really. I mean, you know, depending on when the election is there is time for the government keeps saying there's no time to do things they've got loads of time parliament is barely doing anything um so there is time for other legislation you know i don't think they're very keen to do any more reshuffles they've already had to do a couple and i think we're sort of on wanna be on an election footing now so i think I don't think Rishi will be that keen to be sort of promoting people round and about. Also, there's quite a lot of these conservative rebels who are looking to their own seats, are a bit nervous about whether they're going to actually be able to win the next election. So they're not going to want to be doing things that they think their voters won't like. So if they think they're more likely to get elected again, if they are prominently out there fighting for whatever they think their voters are interested in, which Many sort of conservative red wallers think is tougher immigration rules and ending the boats crisis. Um, they're not going to want to. They're not going to want to take a government job and give that up. So he's not got a lot to offer. I think he'll have to try and find a way to make the bill suit everybody. Um, but there's going to be a lot of noise before we get to that point.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure he's got the political now to find a way for that to suit everybody, because it's it's fairly binary. There isn't really any sort of middle obfuscatory ground that you could possibly... Um, occupy and like you say the cupboard is bare in terms of things that he can offer them so we'll have to see how that goes but that's going to be coming out over the next couple of days and I suspect on Wednesday when we're back for the news agenda um, we're just going to be talking about Rwanda uh, and what's been happening in the House of Commons because they're all going to go mad and start eating each other and it will be fun to watch but not if you're an asylum seeker anyway thank you for taking us through that Lizzie thank you everyone for taking part Um, but we do have managed to find some good news in the world for you and here it is Now, we a speaking about nuclear veterans on this show because they're very much my baby. But in today's paper, there's a story about them that I didn't write. Hooray. Now, personally, I would call it good news that someone else is uh, paying attention to these when I'm not shouting at the news desk about it. And perhaps one day other newspapers will do the same. But more importantly, perhaps uh, for them, is that three of them received their nuclear test medals in a special ceremony with a local mayor and MP last week uh, in Tunbridge in Kent. Uh, so Ian, Terry and Ray were all on Christmas Island uh, and for a series of H-bomb tests and all were refused, denied an official ceremony with the king, which they asked for and which he said he wanted to do to present them with their medals. They've had to go and organise their own, which is sort of a pity. And it's it's bittersweet, really, Lizzie. They've they've got the medal. That's fantastic. But they've they've had to sort of, you know, put the cherry on top themselves. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that they've got the medals after sort of years and years of campaigning on this and years of government sort of obfuscation. Um, But yeah, it is a shame that they don't have their moment at the palace, especially if, as you say, you know, the king was up for it. Um, But I'm glad that, you know, they are getting their recognition. And, you know, it's even if it isn't at the palace, it's still, you know, it must have still been a really wonderful day for them.
0: Yeah, and they deserve to have some fuss made of them because one of the one of the really um bitter thing, I embittering mean, things about the nuclear test veterans sort of campaign for recognition is that they've been mistreated and treated differently to other veterans and shut up and kept quiet and persecuted through the courts and refused war pensions and generally just, you know, shut up you. Get, get out of it kind of thing whereas other veterans often get celebrated especially if they're injured while fighting um, but these guys uniquely have been mistreated by successive governments of all stripes so the, they deserve to have as much of a fuss as possible when it finally comes through uh, and one other thing is added to the bittersweetness actually so in, there's a number of Facebook groups for the test veterans and their families and there's a message on one of them today um, uh, which says uh, I received my dad's medal unfortunately a week after he died. He never got to see it. He would have been so proud. Um, and that's the thing it's uh, something that was promised by politicians in time for Remembrance Sunday, and they've missed it in this particular instance by uh, three months. So well done, the MOD. There's a veteran there who should have had it. He should have had it in his hand before he died, and uh, he didn't get to see it. But his family have at least been able to mark it and know that he had the honour and he knew the honour was coming. It just didn't have it in time, Uh, which is sort of the big story about the nuclear veterans, really. If we ever get to the point of, um, as the post office scandal is now, of actually being able to say, well, where is the compensation you promised and where is the justice and who do we prosecute about this? Then, you know, I suspect there'll be absolutely nobody left to fight if we get to that point but um the mirror will carry on because we always have and that there'll still be descendants and children and so on who will keep fighting as well right that's about it for today thank you very much lizzie for taking us through all of that thank you everyone for taking part uh, if you're listening on the podcast please leave us a review so other people can find us uh, and until wednesday when we'll see you for another edition of the news agenda and probably rwanda 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 uh, till then everyone take care tatty bye see you then